Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Creative Control with Vish Khanna. On this week's show, is Toronto Mayor Rob Ford beyond sympathy? Have these allegations of substance abuse humanized him in some way? Musician, author, and Toronto citizen Dave Bedini speaks to me about this. A new supergroup called The Good Family crosses generations, bringing the Good Brothers and the Sadies together for a new LP, and shows this weekend in southern Ontario. I'll speak to Bruce Good and his son Travis Good about this. It's festival season, and Exclaim Magazine just published an extensive guide to music festivals across Canada. Editor Carly Lewis tells us more about what's happening there. And the Rolling Stones played the Air Canada Centre in Toronto on May 25th. Stones fan and Hillside Festival artistic director Sam Basil gives us a report on the show and talks about why some Stones tickets are $1,500 each. Good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to take this opportunity to address a number of issues that have circulated in the media over the last few days. There has been a serious accusation from the Toronto Star that I use crack cocaine. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict of crack cocaine. As for a video, I cannot comment on a video that I have never seen or does not exist. It is most unfortunate, very unfortunate, that my colleagues and the great people of this city have been exposed to the fact that I have been judged by the media without any evidence. As the City of Toronto continues to reel from allegations that its mayor, Rob Ford, has been captured on video purportedly smoking crack cocaine, people are choosing their sides on this story. Ford himself denied the accusations at a press conference on Friday, which led to an outcry from his detractors who simply don't believe him. But lost in the noise of all of this are voices of concern who see his behavior as symptomatic of someone suffering from mental health and or substance abuse issues. Joining me now to discuss this further is noted musician, author, sports fan, and Toronto citizen, Dave Bedini. Hi, Dave. How's it going? Fine. How are you, Vish? I'm very well. I'm very well. It's nice to have you on the uh, program. So I want to ask, Dave, what was your opinion of Rob Ford before all of this hoopla began? Uh, not a, not in favor of his politics, certainly. Um, 
and uh, a, you know, uh, definitely an awkward totem for a city is starting to really flourish in so many so many ways. Um, you know, and and, and obviously uh, dogged by you know scandal a week really. Yeah. It seemed, anyways, for a long time. So, yeah, a faulty politician um, and uh, and a poor leader, uh, and, and an effectual uh, mayor too, just not really being able to bring council together. Um, you know, putting him uh, putting himself front and center uh, in uh, uh, in favor of really sort of winless campaigns like the casino, which mm-hmm. um, from the beginning just had very was very, had very very poor polled very poorly in terms of uh, public support yet he kind of you know came out in favor of this uh, so so yeah so really not uh, not an effective uh, force politically in our city so before the latest accusations and things like that did you think of him as someone that might be slightly maladjusted or be suffering from something I don't think so, you know. Just he seems like just be more of a bore than anything. But now, I mean, now that we know, we really don't. The problem is, it's all so swimmy. We really don't know anything for certain. All we can do is really, uh, you know, extract, philosophize, whatever, uh, on, based on his, you know, his portraiture, right? Yeah. Uh, of, of his public persona, and very few people know him privately. Uh, so, yeah. But I mean, if if we are to believe in any capacity, the um, uh, you know the the video that allegedly implicates him smoking crack cocaine. We don't even know it's him, anyways. So it's sort of hard to talk about it with any kind of credibility. <laughs> but at the same time, it does. Se- yeah, he does seem to be exhibiting. You know, certainly. I mean, certainly, he's in denial uh, that he has any kind of issues whatsoever. Even though you know many, many reported public um, episodes of uh, you know. Uh, uh, drinking in public uh, and appearing intoxicated, you know, whether it's at the Garrison Ball or whether it's at the Leaf Game, many, many instances of that. So, yeah, I think in a way, certainly that that you know, not coming to terms with his issues uh, is is one would be one of those you know, certainly characteristics, behavioral characteristics. If somebody does have a problem with with substance abuse for sure. Well, the burden of proof is kind of on the reporters, and well, I mean, at this point, they've said what they have seen, but the video itself. We may never see it, and I, I guess I'm curious what what will it take for something drastic to happen in your eyes? Because you mentioned a series of episodes that have already been documented. This has come to light. You know, whatever you may think of Gawker or the Toronto Star, they're both somewhat reputable media outlets. It seems odd that they would make this up. I mean, what 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 it is will, it? What is it really going to take? We should say though, first of all, that I don't. I mean, there's listen, there's a lot of great leaders. And on ungrate leaders that have you know been alcoholics and have had lot you know a lot of pro- a lot of mental health issues, a lot of problems, doesn't necessarily preclude you being a good uh, you know leader of people. Mm. Um, you know uh, stability. It's hard to be stable. You know when you have that we're in that sort of position of power. So I do think ultimately you have to go. You know our our view of Rob Ford has to be policy based. I think. I mean the, where it gets sort of tricky is the issues of deceit. You know um, somebody who's openly deceitful is not somebody who's necessarily credible as a leader, right. a civic leader. And that's, I think that's largely where the issue, the only, the, the only, the problem there is the, the, you know, so much of the other equation, you know, he's denied, 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 Doug Ford's denied, 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 but there's not enough on the other side of the ledger to really hold them against their lies or hold, hold up that what, you know, what they're saying as being deceitful. Um, should, you know, there be, to, be any kind of weight on the other side of the ledger, then I think, you know, clearly he would be unfit, uh, 
to to be mayor or in any capacity just just because he's deceitful how could you take anything what he says at face value you know right but um, you, you, I, you did say something very interesting there about how the, the question is more about whether or not he's being honest about this because you you, you mentioned right. other politicians who have seemed to have uh sure you know or, and I, i'm thinking of keith richards the stone's best records Really, Keith was completely <laughs> strung out on dope, and th- that's like right. the and best Elvis work. Right, and Elvis and Bob Dylan were on speed when they wrote their best music. But I mean, I think you know whether you love him or hate him, somebody like Ralph Klein's probably a good example. You know, very good for Alberta in a lot of capacities. You know, and and um, and that you really you just you know uh, you can just go down the list. There's so many examples sure. through history, really. Um, so, uh, but so yeah. So the other shoe is really yet to drop, and I do unfortunately. I mean, Though I think the Doug Ford and Rob Ford issues are very, very separate in a lot of ways. I mean, Rob Ford uh, smoking crack with, you know, uh, uh, alleged criminals, you know, in uh, Rexdale uh, is really different from a guy who just out very entrepreneurial sold hashish. I mean, the, again, the issue with Doug Ford comes a little bit, uh, you know, is tied a little bit to his sort of anti-drug stance. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the fact that him and his dad used to pass out all these leaflets and implicate, you know, kids in working class Etobicoke uh, as a way of cleaning up their neighborhood, as a way of him sort of currying favor with older politicians, as a way of moving through the political system. So it's still very, it's still very gray. You know, the edges are very, very gray. And you know, uh, as a symbol of the city, obviously it's a horrible symbol to have for Toronto. And again, at a time when I think Toronto is becoming very, very progressive through the arts. You know, through uh, just like so many community-driven projects, whether it's movement to stop the diesel trains going through the junction, or whether it's Occupy Toronto, all very, very strong movements. Um, so, so he's antithetical to that. He's very, very traditional, very conservative. And for me, just as somebody growing up in Etobicoke, it paints that suburb in a very, very negative light. I mean, you have, I think at the time when I was growing up, it's it's been borne out that, you know, whether it was, you know, Rhea Statics, my old band, or Jane Sibri, or Stephen Heighton, or Kanon, like, and Cold Spec, like a lot of great artists have come out of that community, and it's too bad that Rob, when everybody hears of Tobago, all they think of the friggin' Ford brothers, right, who are really just part of an enclave, which was sort of the east of where I grew up, um, very, very wealthy enclave in Toronto, um, and so it's, that's one of the things that's unfortunate, and that's what got a lot of, pe- a lot of people's backs up, I think, too. Yeah, and I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you about it is because I, I've saw I've seen you on Facebook, sort of talking about this issue from different angles. Uh, it's obviously ripe for a lot of humor, but I think that in a lot of cases people have kind of dehumanized the Fords a little bit, and which is fine. I mean, for me, I'm just like I'm, I don't live in your city. I'm a, I'm a casual observer. These guys seem to, for, for my money, they seem a little reprehensible. Yet I'm seeing the, this this sort of outpouring of sympathy for them in this instance, and I, I wonder if you can speak to that. Are you yourself sympathetic to them, given what they're going through right now? Um, no, I don't think I'm sympathetic to them. Um, again, like we're not really sure where you know it, whether their Ralph Ford's behavior is addiction based. If it is addiction based, then I really think it's a whole other potentially a whole other uh, source of empathy and sympathy um, from us, uh, from the public, but just based on, ter- just based, again, on 
And the last column I wrote in the Post was pure transcripts, like based on his homophobic, racist, close-minded, narrow-minded view of the world. I mean, that's that's. I think that's the way we have to continue, we have to judge. That's all. That's that's fact-based. You know, yeah. it's all we really have to go on. And until it's proven otherwise, it's hard to really go the full nine in terms of in terms of being sympathetic towards him. If it's proven that a lot of this behavior, or part of this behavior, a percentage of this behavior, again, we won't really know, is based on whether it's an alcohol addiction or you know, crack cocaine addiction. It just paints it in a very, very different light, but we just don't know at this point. So based on your, I mean, you mentioned you wrote this National Post story, and it's very funny, and people are liking it. You, you, you feel like this is, this is ripe for a little satire. This is ripe for something. It's not necessarily i think it's yeah i think it is i think it is funny but i mean listen uh i all think i also think it's really i think it's very sad you know that somebody who has come out of this very white close-minded enclave and you know upper middle class tobacco uh speaks for the city right it's impossible for us to assume that rob and doug ford you know millionaires uh you know this uh you know the uh, decal empire which is funny in itself and absurd in itself that, you know, they were able to derive all this power of this decal empire or something as insignificant as that. Uh, it, it's, um, it's, it's hard, it's hard to believe that they're, they will really know the city and the core of the city and the complexity of the city and the ethnicity of the city. This is to say nothing of a mayor who has the worst attendance record of any of his predecessors, worst among council, had a really, really bad attendance record, uh, judging by just the parking slips that they get when they check in and check out as as a councillor. So for him to know, you know, he gets in his car and he goes back to Tobacco every night. He's not one to really, you know, to plumb you know, the depths of the psychology of the city. It's a complex city, probably more complex than it's ever been. And it, you need, I think it would, be, it would be, you know, just the alternative, somebody who was so keyed in on that and somebody who had real, you know, the city's complexities, you know, was, was something that they could really use as a, you know, as a fuel for their, you know, their contribution to the place would be, it would be just wonderful and utopian. But uh, maybe in the end, we're, we're, we're fooling ourselves because maybe, maybe no, maybe there, anybody who would aspire to that, that office is somebody who would have the better sense to not try to, if that makes any sense. So, um, but it is, it's tantalizing when you think really what could be and who actually could be in power as to, as to the person that we actually have in power. Well, and, and I guess, you know, where we're at right now is we're not sure if these denials, this obliviousness is the result of him having a real problem, which it seems like all signs point to that, as opposed to them just being dicks. Everyone kind of just was like, these guys are just dicks. Right. But, you make a good point. It's true. And and, and just, just being a dick is not enough, really. I don't think it should be enough to cause the furor that is, that is, that is, being, you know, that is happening right now in the media. There's obviously... You know, listen, the tape is a big, it's the killing blow, right? I think it would be anyways. And uh, But it's the chimeric, the tape, we don't, the media, you know, nobody knows. That, um, so, but I, you, I think one thing that is true is that I think the, 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 the press is out in full force, you know, trying to somehow find the poison pill, right? And, right. and you know, spending a lot of time. So, so the next couple of weeks will be really interesting, I think. Well, speaking of the next couple of weeks, looking ahead, I wonder if you can talk about what you think will happen next versus what you'd like to see happen next. 
I don't think the Doug Ford story holds any water, to be honest with you. Huh. Um, I, th- I think people will come out and talk about buying hash from Doug Ford in Etobicoke because people did. It's just common knowledge. You, you knew you're, you're someone who grew up there. You, you know, yeah, totally. I mean, I didn't know the Ford. I did not know that the Fords that Doug Ford dealt in this. Uh, but I have friends who bought hash from him and, and people who bought hash at James. You went to James. That's where you went. I went there twice. It was just too creepy for me. Um, uh, too lurid. Sorry, uh, where is this? Know. Where, where didn't you it's go? James Gardens. That's where the whole, Oh, right. That's where you went. To, that's where you went to buy dope. Um, it, but it's just creepy. You had to knock on the window and the guy rolls down the thing and he looks at you and he tells you to meet him in the bushes. And wait, 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 seen was, too. Dave, you're saying you never went. You seem to know it quite intimately. Are you sure you I did. Never no, went? no, I did. No, no, no. I said I went twice. Okay. I went twice. <laughs> All right. No. <laughs> and then I just decided like, it was just the dance just seemed too absurd to me. But I, I don't think that, I mean, I don't think that holds any water whatsoever. I don't think there's no sense of outrage um, about that. And why should there be really? I mean, when you think about it, he was... I mean, I, he was entrepreneurial in a lot of ways. If the if the rumors are in fact true or whatever, I just don't think it's a big deal. Um, yeah, and, but it's drugs. It's still drugs. I mean, entrepreneurial is one thing. It's, yeah, but it's, it's a major I drug know, dealer. That's twenty first century, though. I mean, I don't think it really. I don't think it's a big deal to people. I'm just telling you what I. I don't think people are really upset by that. All right. And I don't think there was. I don't. I mean, I don't think there was that much there in that Globe piece, to be honest. In fact, there's one part of the Globe piece where there's, they talk about Rob Ford joining the football team. And I think it was the football team, yeah, and, and everybody else could run, I think it was the 60 meters, I can't remember. Yeah, he could couldn't run. do it. He just couldn't do it. He, he couldn't do it. So, hey, but the, 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 but at the end of that, and that story has him going back day after day after day, trying, 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 finally doing it. And you kind of think, oh, you know, if, I, if it's not me, maybe if it's a slightly less sophisticated reader possibly someone thinks here's that story he goes like well good for him you know the the little guy who you know couldn't do it and all he kept going back and he finally he finally achieved it well, you can see it's fun that way a, a, fr- a friend what? and i were just talking about this story we actually he and i it, it sort of blew right past me but he was like that story was a crock it was completely sympathetic to rob ford because everything it was, was very sympathetic yeah and that's yeah. not that wasn't that wasn't the purposes of the globe mail only by any means hmm. so i guess what what we the answering that question was just I don't think I don't think there's anything anything there in the whole Doug Ford Doug, I think Doug Ford is Teflon and I think he'll just continue to he if he has to he'll just dial down lurk back you know back room back in the shadows and Rob Ford is the big you know he's the he's the game that is being hunted by the media at this point and, and uh, you know I think when he falls others will fall but I don't think I don't think Doug, Doug I think don't. I, Doug, Doug Ford emerges unscathed largely anyways. And listen, if they do end up having to give up the, or their office, they go back to their big homes in Tobacco and they just cash the check anyway. So it's, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't see how it's interesting. I don't see how really they're going to be affected. What What's affected? I mean, their, their quest for fame and power, you know, and big man on campus, you know, the big, the big dude, the big dick. The, the big megalomano- dick they're, the they're, they're megalomaniacs. I think that's they the are, case. They yeah. are, they are, they are, they are. So that takes a hit. Their ego maybe takes a hit at the end of the day, but hmm. that's about it. Well, Dave, I appreciate you talking uh, to, to me about all this. I, I really Yeah, do. no, no, it's, it's, it's strange times. It's, it's interesting de- times. Definitely strange times. Yeah. Dave Bedini's uh, new book, Keon and Me, My Search for the Lost Soul of the Leafs, is out this fall, and he'll be a featured reader at the 25th anniversary edition of the Eden Mills Writers Festival. Uh, you can follow... I hope there's a cake. <laughs> I hope so, too. I hope so, too. You and we're having our 10th anniversary Wolf Island Literary Festival this Saturday, too. So. Oh, there you go. 
There you How go. How about that? There you go. So you cool. plug that too as well. And then keep an eye sure. out for Dave and his band, Bedini Band. They'll be playing uh, in places near you, I'm sure. You can follow him on Twitter at hockeyesque. The best thing about the eighties was you. The Good Family is a new supergroup featuring moms, dads, sons, uncles, nieces, cousins, and close friends who together make a spirited kind of folk rock. This makes sense because the core union here is between celebrated bands, the Good Brothers and the Sadies, and their collaboration has been captured on a new release called The Good Family Album, which is out now. The Good Family are playing select tour dates, including May 30th at the Starlight in Waterloo and June 1st at the Casbah in Hamilton. And joining me now to talk about this is Father Bruce Good of the Good Brothers. That makes you sound like you're a holy man. I, I just realized that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've heard that before. <laughs> the Good Brothers, yeah, it does sound like a, a religious uh, cult or something. It does kind of, yeah. Well, I, I apologize <laughs> if that's a, an aspersion in any way, but uh, it's a... No, it, you know what? No, seriously, though, uh, in our early days, people honestly thought that when they heard the name or saw a poster, they thought, I, I wonder if this is a gospel band. Mm. And uh, so that it's so in a way it's funny, but in, in another way, some people did actually think that. Well, it's a, it's just a, I didn't even mean it that way, but I can see how I can see how people might be mistaken and, until they yeah. kind of check yeah. it out. But we are far from a gospel band. <laughs> well, it's a great uh, pleasure to speak with you. Uh, thanks for your time. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here too. Ish. And also on the phone, I feel like we've neglected him a little bit here. Uh, Travis Good of the Sadies, and also now from the Good family. Hi, Travis. How are you? Good, man. How are you? Well, I'm doing fine, thanks. Uh, so do you think of your father as something of a holy man? <laughs> the three the three good brothers, they're, they're our fathers. <laughs> <laughs> but I also I have fathers <laughs> that we follow. The holy men, yeah. They're, they're kind, uh, of, uh, kind of a holy man, yeah. So how did this band come together? Well, like you said, uh, you know, we have, it, it's a family operations with mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters, and cousins, and uncles, and it, the only thing missing, I think, is the cat and the dog, <laughs> but but other than that, uh, we come from a very musical family. In fact, uh, we could, there's four other musicians that we probably could have, have had involved in this, uh, but uh, we're saving that for somewhere down the line if we ever do another record. Oh, okay. You're hoping to have them involved as well. What? We hope so, too. And, and, and I guess it stemmed from uh, our parents, my parents, uh, Travis and Dallas's grandparents. Uh, they were very musical, on, on my mother's side in particular. Our mom uh, played guitar and auto harp, and she would sing... Uh, and Dad would play some harmonica, and uh, that's where I guess where my brothers and I st- first started to sing, because hmm. uh, she, our mom, would always encourage us to sing along, and we'd do so. And uh, that's that was the beginning for us. So, is maintaining that kind of family tradition a, a very important thing to you? Well, you know, it, it was quite accidental with uh, Travis and Dallas, and I think with my brothers' kids too. Like uh, both my brothers have have children who who are players larry has a son who's a banjo player uh of course <laughs> but you know uh, we already have a banjo in the band and you know there's enough banjo jokes going around out there anyway without us <laughs> adding to it <laughs> but but uh but uh, and uh 
my brother Brian's daughter, of course, is Darcy, who's part of the uh, of this good family lineup. Right, and this is something of an introduction, at least for me, to Darcy. I, I don't recall hearing her sing too much before. What's her background? Darcy uh, has always sung, you know, like most of the good kids. They, they started singing when they were pretty young. Uh, Darcy never got into it seriously until uh, probably about eight years ago. And, and uh, to tell the truth, Darcy's uh, had a, a, a time in her life that, uh, um, how do you put it? She took the wrong road, I guess, for whatever reasons. And, uh, and she was involved quite, and by the way, she, is giving, she has given us uh, our blessings to talk about it. Uh, because she had a drug issue, and she was uh, she was not around for a while, hmm. and finally through a family intervention, uh, we got her back, and now her new drug is music, and she's been playing music constantly for about eight nine years now, and uh, like I said before, she had dabbled in it before, but now she was taking it seriously. This was her new drug, and uh, it has paid off. She's been clean for nine years, wow. and and uh, and now she's enjoying music, and we're enjoying having her home. Well, that's very good to hear. Uh, Travis, what does it mean to you to be playing music with Darcy at this point? Yeah, that was something that uh, there was a long time I never never saw that in the cards. So that was great. We only saw Darcy for a long time. We'd see once in a while. We'd see her on a Sadie's tour. We might be able to get together with her, but. She was always pretty hard to track down. So it's great to have her back. And then now she's just playing a ton of fiddle. And she's really good. Oh, nice. So, yeah, it really all worked out really quite well. Well, that's great. I mean, you know, I, I know Darcy mostly on Facebook. We're Facebook friends, Darcy and I. Yeah. And we, cor- yeah. we correspond from time to time. But uh, she seems quite pleasant. And uh, that's great well, to Well, you hear. know what? You know, some families wouldn't want to talk about it, but uh, to us, uh, it's a success story, and we want to share that success story just to, to give anybody out there hope. Yeah, that's great. If, if they have anybody in their family that's, uh, that has that issue. Well, speaking of kind of uplifting sentiments, I suppose, there's a guitar solo on a song from the new record called... The song is called Same Old Song, and the guitar solo is by the late Terry Clements, and I understand it was recorded in 1978. What's what's the story there? Yeah, that's correct. Um, Terry Clements was a very good, very dear friend of ours. He, of course, he played all those many, many years. I think 20 odd years with Lightfoot or mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he passed away a few years ago. But back in 1978, Terry uh, and Margaret, my wife, uh, the boy's mom. Uh, did a demo of that song, and they did it at Terry's place in his home studio. So when we decided that we wanted to record that song, we we thought, boy, would it ever be great, because Terry was, like I say, very close. He was like family. Wouldn't it be great if we could uh, have this on as a tribute to Terry? So uh, uh, that's quite the word, like a tributary. <laughs> yeah, that's, it, was, that's... it was a tribute as a tribute to, like <laughs> to Terry. Uh, we, uh, Very clever. Uh, Dallas, i got to give Dallas and uh, the guys who worked with him to transpose that guitar part onto the new recording. Hmm. And that's what you're hearing, those lead, those wailing lead guitar parts are Terry's... Uh, <laughs> 
Terry's performance from 1978. That's pretty remarkable. That 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 story in itself is quite remarkable. So clearly, this is a a significant LP for for you and the and the Good family and everyone close to it. Uh, and you, as you say, you you have already talked about uh, making more records together. That's the plan. Yeah, well, we're sure hoping to. Uh, you know, uh, uh, again, it's amazing because our schedules. The, the, needless to say, the Sadies are one of the hardest working bands I think in Canada, and I think Travis will agree with that. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, our schedules are so that it's difficult because the Good Brothers are still touring and playing as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, and even making this record was, was difficult because, uh, we would go into the studio for a day and lay down some parts and then we'd leave it and we'd leave it for a month or six weeks, you know, and then come back to it and say, you know, that, and thinking that, geez, did we get something or not? And come back about a month later and listen to it and say, yeah, I think we got something. You know, and then we'd, we'd lay some more parts down and then we'd leave it alone again for another month or two, you know? So it was, it took a long time, but it wasn't really a long time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, it was disjointed, but it, it's, it felt... It was disjointed, but we'd come back to it, and we were always pleased and surprised at, at what we had played. I'd, you know, I'd laid down a dobro part and kind of forget what I did, and it was almost refreshing to come back to it and listen to it again. Well, that's cool. That's, that's nice to hear. Travis, your, your dad mentions the Sadies are very busy. What do you think? Uh, do you want to make more records with the Good Family? Well, we'll see what happens. Eh? We'll, uh, you know, we've planted the seeds. We'll see. We'll see what happens with this. How the how the shows go. So far, it's so so good, you know. And there's a lot of other goods that uh, that play that aren't on this record. We could I could see in the future doing bigger, bigger things. It's a it's a great record. It's a great story. We all hope to hear more. Uh, Bruce Good, Travis Good. Thank you so much for talking to me about this today. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. All right, man. Thank you. The Good Family album is a wonderful one, and it's available now. They're also making some rare live appearances on May 30th at the Starlight in Waterloo and June 1st at the Casbah in Hamilton. For more information, check out latentrecordings.com. Hey there, thanks for checking out the Creative Control Show. If you want to email me, you can at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's Creative Control with two Ks. I'll let you figure out where the K's go. 93.3, all one word, creativecontrol93.3 at gmail.com. And uh, just so you know, the show does air on CFRU 93.3 
FM in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. You can listen to it online at cfru.ca or if you're in the Kitchener-Waterloo region, 93.3 FM in Guelph. Also of note, if you go to my website, vishkana.com, that's V-I-S-H-K-H-A-N-N-A.com, you can sign up for the Creative Control mailing list and uh, keep tabs on what's happening on the show. So there you go. Thanks. Well, it's uh, coming on summer festival season, and with such a vast array of options across this country, that means Canadian music fans are getting ready to pick and choose where they go and who they see. The fine people at Exclaim Magazine just published their June issue last week, and within it is their annual extensive summer festival guide. Now, I got to admit, I actually contributed to this thing. I added some pieces. I was happy to do it. I just want you to know that I was happy. That's it. That's all I want to say. Joining me now to talk more about all of this is Exclaim's Carly Lewis. Hi, Carly. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. It's, uh, I'm very well. It's nice to speak good. with you. Now, while and you too. Well, great. I, it's great that we're talking, isn't it? It's great <laughs> for both of us. It is great. Now, while some aspects of the music industry seem to be dying, that's all we hear about. I mean, it started, I feel like even the discussion about the music industry dying has died a little bit. I don't hear it as much. But uh, despite all that, music festivals seem to be getting stronger and stronger every year. Now, you you actually edited the festival guide for Exclaim, and you've done that for a few years now. That's right. What's your assessment of music festivals? Um, well, every year I definitely come across a small handful of festivals that have either gone on hiatus or shut down completely, and that's always sad to see. But there do seem to be a lot of festivals in Canada that are in their infancy, which shows that People are still innovating and they're still trying to start new traditions, which is cool. I don't think that the music industry is is struggling. Sure, I think that the music industry is is struggling or has been struggling, but I don't think people's desire to see music live has gone away. Okay. You you, You mentioned that you've seen some festivals that have been sort of shuttered, but do you also see uh, from year to year more festivals popping up? Yeah, for sure. Um... One of the coolest sounding new festivals I came across while I was compiling this year's guide is called Badlands, and it's a dance music festival set to take place the opening weekend of the Calgary Stampede. And I love the juxtaposition of like a giant sweaty dance party inside a cowboy town. So I I spoke with the founder of this festival, and he told me that they started a new festival to accommodate the growing need for EDM in that part of hmm. the country. So I think I think people who are bookers and people who are involved with planning festivals are taking notice of what festival goers want and don't have in their parts of the country and are kind of trying to accommodate that. Hmm. Well, and I, I mean, I've been a part of festivals from different aspects. I've played them. I've, uh, I've mm-hmm. attended them. I've emceed at them. I've volunteered at them. And, and I, know, I know why bands like playing these festivals, because there's a few reasons, actually. One, they generally play to a lot of people and it's from a broad audience which they don't always get so they mm-hmm. that's kind of cool for them and they get paid extremely well uh also it's a rare opportunity for them to convene you know they see their friends and other bands everyone's so busy touring that a festival sometimes is like the closest thing they have to like a social event you know mm-hmm. so, so that i understand their perspective and, and i've sort of just expressed it on their behalf i guess but right what, what about attendees what about fans why do you think people love festivals 
potentially more than seeing one or two bands in a club. Yeah, well, I don't think it's that different for festival goers than it is for bands playing the festivals, other than the fact that festival goers, of course, do not get paid to attend these festivals. I think that festivals offer a different experience than what one can get at a bar or a club or a venue. They're outside and ideally the weather is nice. Sometimes you can camp. You can probably bring your kids if you have them. Like there's just something more celebratory and communal communal about festivals. Hmm. Um, a lot of the bigger festivals that have been around for a long time tend to put their tickets on sale even before the lineups are announced. And I think people buy those tickets because what they're actually chasing is like an all-encompassing festival vibe. Um, are they also chasing some nostalgia for their past experiences at those festivals? Sure, definitely. Um, you're trying to re you're trying to relive something. I mean, I think even sometimes when you're going to see a band, sometimes you're trying to relive something you've experienced already. If you really love a record, you you hope they'll play a song. You know what I mean? There's this sort of that's an element of going to see a live show. I think. Yeah, and there's a certain kind of feeling that you can capture really clearly at music festivals, and I think maybe people who have had a great experience at a music festival tend to go back to that festival year after year after year because they had a great time there when they were like 25. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Totally. Well, and in, in assembling this guide for Exclaim, you, you surveyed the entire country, and it, which is pretty remarkable. By the way, how much work is this? must be crazy for you. <laughs> uh, it is, it is time-consuming. Do you yeah. do, what, what else do you do for Exclaim? Are you, do you generally, you're just a writer or are you an editor there? No, no, I just uh, occasionally write for them. Actually, I interned there a couple of years ago and then stayed on as an occasional writer. But they they saddled you with the festival guide. This is a lot yeah. of work. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of work, but it's it's definitely interesting to see. Like I live in Toronto, and it's interesting to see what goes on outside of Toronto. And it, and I don't just mean in Halifax or in Montreal or out west, but I mean in these tiny little rural places that are in between all of these bigger cities. Like it's cool to see how people do festivals from coast to coast. And are there any particular trends with festivals across this country that have popped up? Or is there, is there something generally about our country that surprises you in some ways? A lot of festivals here tend to integrate some sense of nature into their philosophies, which is probably because so many festivals occur in rural settings. Uh, there are a lot of festivals in the woods. There are a lot of folk festivals, which makes sense if you think of you know Canada having a very rich folk music history. But there are also a lot of cool dance music festivals cropping up. And another thing I really have loved about um, making this festival guide is the realization that small towns don't let their distance from urban centers stop them from throwing good parties. Yeah. And, and when it comes to summer festivals in Canada, I think that rural places actually outshine the cities. Like one of the most impressive lineups I came across while I was putting the guide together this year is the Mudtown Festival, which is in Owen Sound. Yeah, I don't, like stars. I, I've not heard of this festival. It's actually it was the other folk festival, up up until this year, which you may have heard of other folk, but anyway. Oh, sorry, it was actually called the other. I it, was, it was it was called other folk. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were like there. You know, there's the folk <laughs> festival, then there's the other folk festival. That one other folk festival. Right. Yeah, no, it, it was actually called other folk. Um, oh, okay. Other folk, like all one word, and this year they have decided to call it Mudtown. It's the people who do Mudtown records. Oh, okay, okay. That, that put it on, and like, Stars is playing, and Zeus, and Young Galaxy, and this is, you know, hours outside of Toronto. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of like a a nice reality check or something to see that there's a lot of amazing things going on in places that aren't 
Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Halifax. Again, Although great, yeah, great I, things are going on there too. Yeah, and I think that's also refreshing for bands as well and for artists to play in places that they may not normally play and discover that there's a, some kind of scene there. Yeah, I mean, people always rave about how great it is to play Hillside. And I think that it's because, you know, Hillside is in Guelph. It's kind of a lower pressure scenario than mm-hmm. a, a city like Toronto. And there's not a lot of ego at that festival. And I think that, you know, people who go to festivals go to those festivals for a reason. But bands who play those festivals appreciate the same kinds of things. Absolutely. No, that's yeah. that's that's totally fair. Well, you've mentioned a bunch of highlights already from the Exclaim Fest guide for this year. You mentioned Mudtown and Badlands and a couple other things. Is there <laughs> one festival in particular that you think people should be aware of this year? And by that, I, I suppose I mean, is there one festival that you yourself are, you know, excited about or, or wish you could go to? Well, um, the one festival that really, really caught my attention has actually already happened. It happened last week, but I want to mention it anyway because it sounds really amazing. Um, It's called the One Man Band Festival, and it takes place in Montreal. And essentially, it's a showcase of one-person performances. It was founded by John Cohen, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, I spoke with John Cohen when we did the guide. There's a little feature on the One Man Band Festival inside the guide. And I don't know, he just kind of told me a lot about his his experience playing in other bands. And, you know, rather than wait for uh, a band to kind of put itself together, he just decided that he would do it himself and like just be responsible for his entire stage and his entire performance and just do it all himself. So he's collected, I think, like at least 50 acts, maybe more than that. Um, so 50, he's, he's collected 50 different acts of people who are on stage alone to come and perform at this festival, which I think is cool. It's already happened, but I could mention another interesting festival if you want. If you want to. <laughs> I really do. Okay, go ahead. So, so there is a festival taking place in Nova Scotia, and it is called the Maritime Metal and Hard Rock Festival. So it, it's two days. It's obviously metal and hard rock music in sort of an unlikely environment. And the guy, it's, it's its first year ever, the guy who is putting it on kind of just wanted to, he, he felt that there was not enough metal genre representation in that part of the country. So he kind of put all of his life savings into starting this festival, huh. which is which is cool. So I would I would encourage people who are into metal music to make the journey and, sorry, to Nova Scotia. When is that happening? It is September 13th and 14th. Okay, cool. So there's lots yeah. of there's lots of inspiring stuff within, you know, it's a festival guide on one hand, but there's some pretty inspiring stories in there too. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I love seeing something I love about working on this guide is seeing small festivals kind of get stronger as they go on. But I also like seeing our biggest festivals get bigger. Like I love watching Oceaga grow every year. I have friends who are coming from Los Angeles this summer just to go to Montreal for that festival. Right. And same with North by Northeast. Like I like seeing our, our bigger events kind of get talked about internationally too. Cool. Well, that's great. Well, people can get more information yeah. about every festival basically happening in Canada via Exclaim Magazine's uh, Festival Guide. The uh, issue is out now uh, at, uh, I guess, local newsstands, if that uh, is uh, not vague. I don't know. You can find it. It's a free magazine. It's, uh, and available. it's also online. That's right. Exclaim.ca is where you can read about it online as well. And uh, Carly Lewis, it was great to talk to you about it, and uh, hopefully we'll speak again. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks so much.
The Rolling Stones brought their 50 and counting tour to Toronto over the weekend for the first of two stops at the Air Canada Centre. They're back again June 6th, and based on some reviews, the band is putting on some really great shows these days, which is good because face value tickets for the uh, Stone show ranged from $85 to an insane crazy $1,500 each. One person I know who went to the show on Saturday in Toronto and had a good time is Stone's superfan and Hillside Festival artistic director, Sam Basil. Sam, how's it going? Things are going really well, Vish. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. So, how was the show on Saturday? The show was uh, overall really great. Uh, they uh, they put on a fantastic uh, show for, for the place. I mean, uh, definitely a great vibe. Um, they were very powerful, very energetic. Mick Jagger was... Uh, was in top form, I would say. The guy ceases to amaze, amaze me and you when you watch him running and singing. Um, musically, I would say it was about a seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. I, that's not. That's not that high. What you you love the Stones? How come it's only seven? Uh, well, I mean, I I have uh, I have like lots of other fans of theirs that get that go see them a lot. Um, you know, uh, you you can. You pay attention to note by note, you know. It's not just like, oh, wow, it's the Stones, here's honky-tonk women. Um, that said, you know, there were songs that were played better than others. Um, there was mistakes. And and those are the kind of things that stand out. There's, there's a certain energy level and flow to the show. And, uh, you know, it's two hours and change. And uh, it was not consistent. There was uh, definitely points during the show, quite a few of them, where it was just like, what was that? Um, whereas other points in the show where it was like, wow, that was really incredible. Um, so I think it comes with being someone that, you know, uh, I, I totally agree that this is the perspective of somebody that's seen the band uh, quite a few times. So it's not quite the same as if somebody's going to see them for the first time or once in a while. So, you know, it doesn't take away from the overall experience. It's like, everybody's not going to be firing on all cylinders every night and, uh, but but I did I happen to know because you and I are friends. You've been sending me kind of like tour updates. You've been monitoring set lists and sending me video clips. So you've been kind of comp- you you have the ability to compare what you saw mm-hmm. in Toronto to what they've been doing elsewhere. Does that color right. does that color your perception of how the Toronto show went? Um, you know, if I would have gone to see this without knowing a single thing um, about this this tour, like zero. Uh, would it have changed how I felt about it? Uh, not, not really. I think if anything, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised as to how good they are. You know, um, like because the the cynic clinic that that's something that comes when you when you pay a lot of attention to anything. Um, you, you as much as you can get obsessed and be such a big fan, you can also be their biggest critic. And that can apply to not just music, it can apply to anything. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, tracking the tour as much as I have been watching things, yeah, this was like, what, the sixth or seventh show. And um, they certainly are warmed up and all that. I mean, although the five-day layoff, you could tell they were a little rusty, I think. Um, and, yeah, I think that the, the big issue was the fact that on Monday night, last Monday, uh, the week before, they, they played the show um, in Los Angeles that was just like 
beyond everyone's expectations, including my own, um, from what they played and so forth. Uh, so yeah, it, this comparative analysis of shows is definitely something that you know I have to take it with a grain of salt. Which is why it was really great to go to it and come out of it going and be just grinning the entire night, being there, going, "Wow, this is such a fantastic thing!" Hmm. You know that. Oh, that's cool. I I, I read that uh, Toronto councillor Doug Ford went to the show. He said he went to the show and had a great time. But I also heard that Mick Jagger made some Rob Ford crack jokes. Is that right? Yeah, he well, he tried. Um, Mick has <laughs> a tendency to to try and uh, and and make some form of showman hum, humoristic commentary at every show that he does. I mean, and and try to relate it to the city he is in. So, uh, which is I think pretty common with entertainers. So yeah, he said something like, "I'm not going to make any jokes about the mayor." Uh, right at the beginning after the first song. And then he said, and we're going to crack right into it. You know, it's like, oh, there's a collective, oh, in the audience. So, were they like groaning because it was a bad joke? Or were they people just like, oh, we don't want to hear this right now? I think there was just a collective, like, that was that was like kind of silly, but they weren't like, you know, booing it. It was just sort of a kind of silly. Right. Yeah. All right. I mentioned uh, in the intro that the ticket prices are kind of bonkers. It's $85 for the cheapest tickets, which aren't even available anymore, up to like 1500 bucks. Could you talk about this? You, you've been around a long time. You've been to a lot of concerts. Uh, you know your way in and around, uh, you know, how to get good seats and all that sort of stuff. But why is the ticketing for the Stones tour so complex and so crazy? Uh, the complexity of it is the fact that they simply priced it too high from the beginning, um, and it, it would have been one thing if there was actually a market that would take that, and it's insane to think that there would be a market that would take that when you're doing a 17 or 18 show tour. Um, it did not work. Uh, the segment of tickets that were sold at the top prices were very low comparatively speaking it certainly wasn't what they would they were planning on um and then the prices have been getting moved around so that's been the part that's complicated even further is because you know if you would have jumped at it right at the beginning and bought 640 dollar tickets then um a couple of weeks later there's like the same section seats are being dropped down to 270 dollars and so forth and it's it's like a moving target it's not even like uh you know, this is the the price now. Is like you know, you you could go into the system and get the same seats for two different price levels. So it's 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 they they're calling it flexi pricing. And and I from what I understand, there's some comparisons being made to the airline industry. It's like making people feel like they're getting a deal on a ridiculous price point that the people have established. Like the band has established this, or whatever. Their people have established this crazy price point. And then people are like, what? The, I'm not paying that. And then they bring it down and they're like, oh, okay, it's a bit of a bargain. It's like a psychological thing. Oh, completely. Uh, you're 100% right there because when, when when you step back from the whole thing and, and you know, because there's this whole – it's a mindset uh, thing. I mean I have to ask the question of with, whether the people that planned this whole thing with the Stones – because I still at the end of the day, I'm not going to separate them from it because Mick Jagger is an incredibly – you know, savvy businessman and so forth. And, you know, he's not the one that's going to sit there and go, uh, well, you guys just decide what we're going to charge us and how much money we want. Um, it didn't work that way. So he has to be part of it. But then the promoter has to handle all the ins and outs of it. Hmm. But, yeah, I think that what it's done to the psychology of people 
is you know like even the eighty five dollar ticket thing, it's like it make it make you makes you think that it's eighty five. Oh, it's only eighty five dollars. It's like, well, $85 is actually not like pennies. No, it's a lot of money know? still. It is crazy. You know, and oh, I got I got like a great deal. I got seats for $270. Great. But this this is a oh. band that that constantly I think kind of challenges their fan base's loyalty in some ways because they there's always some shenanigans. I remember, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, whenever it was. I guess it was 10 years ago when that 40 Licks compilation came out and it was only available on uh, Best Buy. And I remember everyone, yep. everyone was really upset. Like Stones, what are you doing? Like you know, you're, 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 you're kind of crapping on the indie stores and all that stuff. Now this stuff comes along. This band is kind of always pushing their luck with their fans, but people still keep coming back. What is it that keeps you coming back to the Stones after all this sort of shenanigans? Good question. Um, I I have to say that you know. I don't have the blinders on, so I'm not buying any of this, you know. But when it comes straight up to the strength and the power of the music, um, it's, you know, you can't you can't like compare it to anything else. I'm not to say that's better or worse. It's it's so unique. I mean, I noticed that the other day when I was in Toronto, there was like a a very unique energy to that day because you knew that the Rolling Stones were in town, you know, and uh, that's. It's unmistakable. Um, and, I mean, if they would have totally sucked, which I knew they wouldn't, you know, mm-hmm. I, because that's the thing. They, But at the same time, it doesn't mean that I have to buy the whole thing hook, line, and sinker, right? Um, and the, they have definitely pushed the boundaries. Right from the beginning, they have been responsible for the highest ticket pricing in the entire industry from the beginning. They're the ones who started creating that whole model, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and defend them. But, you know, for all the stuff that, you know, you can say about somebody selling out to corporations, the thing about the Rolling Stones is that they are them. They are their own corporations. They, you know, they are their own entity. And, and this is not a, like a defending comment. It's more like when you think about anybody under the sun who's willing to play with them, if they invite them on stage, whatever indie cred or not they've got, it all goes, go, goes flying out the window. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm Mr. Indie this, that. Who cares? The Rolling Stones ask you to come in and play with them or open for them. They do it in a heartbeat. Hmm. And, you know, my comment there is that it seems that this group, because of their history, and yeah, they started off in Roach Motel, but they have managed to survive all of this stuff. And I thought they would not survive this ticket nonsense. But you know what? They're doing it. Yeah. You're going to the June 6th show in Toronto. How many other shows are you planning to attend? Um, One more in Montreal. All right. Yeah, that's that's enough. That's probably enough on your wallet, among other things. Yeah, and I'm being careful with the ticket. I'm not buying the top ticket prices. I, you know, we the, we've been spoiled. I've been spoiled over the last number of tours. We're not. I don't have to pay this kind of money to get really good seats. Huh. Um, but uh, I'm being very uh, careful. But I don't really like the fact that I have to worry about this. Yeah, you shouldn't have to worry. You just go and watch the show. You're supposed to have fun at a show. You're not supposed to feel like you're being taken advantage of in any way. Yeah, I think it broke the ice the other night, you know, first show after some of the ticket nonsense. It was a bit irritating and stressful, and it was like, I don't want to get stressed out about this. This is silly. I know I enjoy tickets and stuff, you know, and, and taking care of that thing is sort of a passion of mine and hobby, but it was getting a little ridiculous. Oh, you mean for your, but, fr- your, for your friends and, and everything? Yeah, because it's not just about me, you know? You know, I don't look at... Uh, it, it, <laughs> For me, the concert thing is, it's never been, you know, you know me, it's not just about, 
getting a ticket for myself. I can always get a ticket for myself and get into a place that I want to be and be happy. But it doesn't doesn't really work for me if if everybody else in the crew isn't happy. Sure. All right. Well, Sam, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me about this. No problem. Sam Bajel is the artistic director of the Hillside Festival in Guelph, which is celebrating its 30th anniversary just this July 26th to 28th. For more information about it, please visit hillsidefestival.ca. For more information about the Rolling Stones, please speak to a financial consultant before visiting rollingstones.com. That's Creative Control for this week. Thanks to all my guests and also to Bri Webb and CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph, Ontario, where Creative Control airs every Wednesday at noon Eastern, both on the actual radio and streaming at CFRU.ca. The Creative Control podcast is available at vishkana.com. And I urge you all to join my mailing list for updates on upcoming guests. And, uh, oh, you can also email me at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. Creative Control is spelled with two Ks. And uh, there you go. Hey, check out Jim Guthrie's new record, Takes Time, at jimguthrie.org. Jim wrote the song you're listening to, Behind My Voice, which I hope you're also listening to. And that's it. Okay. Talk soon. Bye for now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.